Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and I'm delighted to have another hour with you talking about the things that matter most. Uh, Dr. Matthew Bunsen is going to be joining us this hour. There are many fascinating stories out there uh, that are you know, related to uh, the presence of the Catholic Church all over the world. On the Feast of St. Blaise, for instance, um, the Vatican, you might say, cleared its collective throat and made attempts to put things right on three separate fronts, all on the same day. Um, the National Catholic Register are calling it Reset Sunday. We're going to go over those three uh, separate fronts, and I'll just mention one of them uh, right now. Uh, the Holy Father came under criticism from Jewish leaders, the chief rabbi of Rome, for instance, uh, spoke of great disappointment with the Vatican in a, in a crisis in relations. He took aim at uh, the language of Pope Francis, uh, lamenting a jumble of political and religious declarations that have left us confused and offended. Uh, last November, some 400 Jewish leaders addressed an open letter to Pope Francis. So we'll see what the Holy Father has done uh, in response to that. And there are two other areas that we'll look at, too. Uh, should also mention that uh, Pope Francis has said it's never too late to take action against human trafficking. You might remember that during the early 2000s, uh, a good deal of attention was being paid to this question of human trafficking. and The Bush administration uh, made it a priority to fight back against it. And, uh, and you know, but like most things, uh, it grabs your attention for a while and then it kind of drifts off the radar, and that that's what's happened with human trafficking. Uh, today, of course, is the feast of St. Josephine Paquita, and that's also a good opportunity for us to remember uh, the problems, uh, the tragedy, and the crime of human trafficking. Uh, also coming up with uh, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, we'll take a look at the upcoming Super Bowl 2024 and seven players who's going to be praying. Uh, lifelong Catholic uh, from the San Francisco 49ers, Christian McCaffrey, will be there sharing his Bible verses on social media. We've got lots more to talk about. But first, let's get to the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, February 8th. It's the Feast of St. Josephine Paquita. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at avemaria.edu. Pope Francis says there's a hypocrisy in the criticism of his decision to let priests give blessings to same-sex couples. In an interview with an Italian Catholic magazine, the Pope said, quote, no one should be denied a blessing. With more on this and other topics, Matthew Bunsen joins Al right after the news. 
The Supreme Court is questioning whether Colorado has the power to remove Donald Trump from the primary ballot for his role in the 2021 attack on the Capitol. This question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection to be president again is, you know, just say it, it sounds awfully national to me. Justice Elena Kagan, pussy attorney representing Colorado voters over why a single state should have the power to decide which candidates can be on the ballot for a national election. A ruling in favor of Trump would stop other states that are attempting to do the same. A Texas man who tried to end his spouse's pregnancy by slipping her an abortion pill is going to prison. Mason Herring's wife, Catherine, telling reporters in Houston that she's furious that the plea deal includes only six months in jail. I do not believe that 180 days is justice for attempting to kill your child. Herring had been having an affair and wasn't happy when his wife told him that she was pregnant with her third child. He put the abortion drug into her water, sending her to the hospital. Their daughter was born prematurely and has developmental delays. And President Biden will not face criminal charges related to documents found at his home. The special counsel investigating President Biden has concluded that Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified military and national security documents but will not face charges. The investigation focused on Biden's time as vice president. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who uh, is vice president and editorial director of EW10 News. He's also a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and the author or co-author of more than 50 books, including the first English language biography of Pope Francis, the Encyclopedia of Catholic History, uh, the Saints Encyclopedia, uh, the Pope Encyclopedia, and we can keep going on. Matthew's had a, a wonderful career helping us understand the ins and outs of Catholic uh, life and Catholic culture. And I want to stress that uh, you should be listening on Saturdays, 4 p.m., where we have registered radio on the air, and Sundays at 11 a.m., uh, where, again, uh, Matthew and Jeanette DeMello uh, give us registered radio. Matthew, good to have you here. Thanks. Uh, privilege to be with you, as always, and thank you for the multiple plugs. I'm very <laughs> grateful. <laughs> well, I w- I'd like to start by looking at this um, thing that the Register has called Reset Saturday at the Vatican. And uh, apparently on the Feast of St. Blaise, they write, the Vatican cleared its collective throat and made attempts to put things right on three separate fronts, all on the same day. Call it Reset Saturday. Yes. Uh, well, this is a, a piece uh, that was authored by Father Raymond D'Souza, who, of course, is a, a great observer, a keen observer of church life. Yeah. Uh, viewers may recall that uh, he and I, along with uh, Catherine Hadro, did our coverage on EWTN for uh, the Synod on Synodality from Rome. And uh, it's always a, a pleasure to spend time with him on the air because, uh, well, like being on with you, it's very easy when you when you're on with somebody who knows what they're talking about. I love it too. Uh, <laughs> he's one of my favorites as well. <laughs> so he's uh, uh, made a very interesting observation here, and that is that uh, as he pointed out in the Feast of Saint Blaise, uh, it, what he refers to as Reset Saturday, and what he was referring to was some additional clarifications uh, coming from Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, uh, the prefect of the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith 
relating uh, to sacraments. We can get back to that. Uh, there was another one on Pope Francis's uh, letter to what he called My Jewish Brothers, which is trying to clean up something of a, of a problem that he's had uh, over the last months uh, in the wake of the, uh, the terror attack by Hamas uh, on Israel. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we can also look at uh, the announcement that there would be 300 parish priests from around the world being brought to Rome as part of a synodal process, largely in response to what was observed during the Synod, that there were virtually no parish priests at all uh, whose voices were heard during this long process of synodality. We can also add to that, uh, not necessarily relevant to this precise article, but it is worth noting that there were scant uh, numbers of deacons permanent deacons who were um, present during the Synod on Synodality, so we'll have to see if a group of them is summoned to Rome next. But it's it's obviously a clear effort to have these voices heard uh, by pastors. Now, as as Father Raymond points out, uh, the attendees will not be changing. It's the same group coming this October that attended last October, so somehow uh, the voices of these 300 parish priests have to be injected into this process, or this is a, a waste of time for them to go to Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. It's an incredible oversight on the part of the synod uh, uh, planners, it seems to me. Um, well, it's, it's also a, something of a, of a mystery uh, as to how some were chosen to attend uh, the synod on synodality. Right. Uh, a lot of church professionals, I think, as uh, Father Raymond likes to call them, uh, took part. A number of religious uh, church professionals were there. Uh, it's uh, a, a little hazy as of right now, at least, as to who among the thousands and thousands of priests around the world are going to be taking part, mm-hmm. uh, who will be summoned. Um, we're not clear as of right now, to the best of my knowledge, of who, for example, from the American clergy uh, will be attending. Uh, and I think that's a list that will be of great interest to people, yes. largely unknown names. Do 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 we interest. do we know who's making the selections? Well, typically for decisions like this, um, we have the the general secretariat for the synod uh, that oversees this, but they tend to rely in much the same way that they did uh, for the synod on synodality and the appointment of different people uh, that uh, they will be depending on. Uh, Episcopal conferences. Uh, we have, for example, I think the USCCB has an office uh, that is dedicated uh, to the Synod on Synodality. So they're likely right now canvassing different names of priests, and then we'll see what they come up with in terms okay. of a list. I don't know what the geographical distribution is, because if you remember, too, uh, the initial distribution was uh, quite diverse uh, heading into the Synod, and then Pope Francis made many of his own personal appointments, which is exactly his right mm-hmm. uh, to reflect his concerns. That had something of a very strong European, I would stress to Western European disposition. Mm-hmm. That's a criticism of Francis. That's simply the group that he chose. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to see what the preponderance of these parish priests are uh, coming into to Rome at, at some point. Now, what was the nature of the criticism uh, from uh, Jewish leadership, that su- yeah, such well, that Pope Francis feels he has to respond to it? Yeah, uh, from the beginning, Pope Francis has uh, tried to bring about some sort of a peaceful settlement, uh, and that 
I don't think comes as a surprise to anyone. Uh, but um, one of the criticisms has been uh, what, uh, in fact, uh, has been described by Ricardo de Seigne, who is the chief rabbi of Rome, uh, described as a, a disappointment, uh, a crisis in relations. And what he's referring to is what he called a jumble of political and religious decorations, declarations that have left the Jewish community confused and offended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think part of it is um, referring to a, a, something that Pope Francis said, for example, that everyone wants peace, but it depends on what kind Whoever does evil must be defeated, as happened with the Nazis in 1945. You can't just accept the idea that war in itself uh, is a defeat for everyone. Uh, And a similar uh, appeal was sent to Pope Francis last year, late in the year, uh, asking him uh, to be much more clear uh, in his condemnation, certainly of the October 7th uh, Hamas attack, and not in any way to propose that there's a kind of equivalency uh, between certainly what the Israelis see as their justified response right. uh, and the absolute horrendous nature of Hamas's attack on Israeli citizens, men, women, and children. Now, there is concern on the Vatican side, and certainly when you talk to officials of the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem, there is concern about the immense toll that's being taken on the civilian population in Gaza as a result right. of this. Right. Who's to blame for that, however, is uh, certainly a matter of debate, uh, but as is often the case in war, uh, innocent civilians, especially the most vulnerable, are the ones who are caught in the middle yeah. and who are the most the greatest at risk of collateral damage. Yeah, uh, yeah that's very true. It, it, did, the, did the Holy Father respond in such a way that the Jewish leaders uh, believe that he is in solidarity with them? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a sense, uh, and uh, even on uh, EWTN News Nightly, uh, tonight uh, there's some coverage on uh, the, the Holy Father's comments. Uh, his letter, I think, was well-received, uh, and one of the things that he says is that um, uh, we are experiencing a moment, he said, of great travail. Wars and divisions are increasing all over the world. Uh, but he adds that my heart is close to you, uh, to the Holy Land, to all the peoples who inhabited Israelis and Palestinians. There was uh, one aspect, too, when he brought to the Vatican some weeks back families, uh, Israeli families and Palestinian families, and at one point, I uh, believe he'd be somewhat controversially used the term genocide. Now, one, one obviously has to be very careful mm. about any phrase like that. Right. Uh, and it was an off-the-cuff remark, and obviously the term genocide has to meet very stringent international and very stringent legal requirements uh, to be applied. It, it's a type of criticism that's being hurled at Israel uh, by those who are calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, those who are supporting you know, very pro-Palestinians. Uh, again, you have to be very precise in your terminology for that. And the, the world court and other things have, again, very strict delineations about what is intended with genocide. And if we look at the genocides that have been documented, we think of the Armenian genocide, although the, I know that the Turkish government 
refuses to acknowledge that. Right. The millions of Armenian Christians who were killed. And then, of course, we have the Holocaust to the Shoah uh, of a very clear genocide against the Jewish people. And that's why that particular word is so sensitive mm-hmm. uh, to Israelis, so sensitive to Jews around the world. Yeah, you certainly don't want to lose its currency uh, with people. It, it, it has to mean something, and we don't want to reduce it to just any act, uh, massive act of uh, slaughter. Genocide yes, does have exactly. clear definition. Um, it, uh, there's something well, going and, on. And Pope, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to add that Pope Francis added uh, that, and this is echoing what we've seen from John Paul II uh, and certainly from Pope Benedict. He talks about Jews and Catholics. We must commit ourselves, he said, to this path of friendship, solidarity, and cooperation in seeking ways to, to repair a destroyed world. And he said, and to help, the, especially in the Holy Land, to recover the ability to see in the face of every person the image of God in mm-hmm. which we were created. So that it's, it's an important sentiment, and I think uh, it has gone some distance anyway yeah. uh, in relieving some of the, the unhappiness. Well, we got about a minute left in this segment, but let me. Uh, so yeah. I want to ask about this. What's buzzing around today? That uh, Pope Francis said something that to be scandalized by uh, gay couple blessings is hypocrisy. Uh, What is he meaning? Well, this is in an interview he gave to an Italian uh, weekly periodical called Credere, uh, in which uh, he was answering a question about the the resistance uh, to the document, Fiducia Suplicans. I know we can pick this up on the other side. Yeah, let's do that, because Uh, it sounds like... He's still defending it. Let's put it that way. Okay, we'll come back and we'll unpack it. My guest is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, as you know, uh, he serves as Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News, and we are spending uh, time looking at a wide range of stories dealing with the Catholic Church today. How are the people of God, the Church, related to religions who have yet to receive the Gospel? According to the Catholic Catechism, the Church is linked to the Jewish religion, The Jews were the first to hear the Word of God. The Jewish faith is already a response to God's revelation in the Old Covenant. To the Jews belong the patriarchs, the sonship, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, for the gifts, says the Catechism, and the call of God are irrevocable. The Muslims are related to the Church in that they acknowledge the Creator, profess to hold the faith of Abraham and adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. The Church's bond with other non-Christian religions stems from the common belief in the origin and end of the human race, which in both cases is our Creator God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. How are we treating God? Are we treating Him like a magic wand? a rabbit's foot, only going to him when we need something. The results, if we don't stay in a relationship with God, and I know this from personal experience, much of the suffering that I had in my life has been brought on by my own stupid mistakes. We have to have God front and center of our life every day. As Father Michael Schmidt says, we're all called to be saints. We have to stand up and fight. We can't just grab God when we need something. He's not a slot machine. Putting coins in, then pulling the one-armed bandit and expecting to win a big prize. 
We have to have that relationship with God so we can truly do His will and be truly happy. So follow Him, not just once in a while, but every single moment. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry, providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Before we get back to the conversation, let me uh, put in a plug here. EWTN Publishing has just released a new book. It's by Jose Gonzalez Hurtado, and it's called The New Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God. Uh, I haven't read it myself yet. Uh, from what I hear, he does a great job an easy, understandable way to uh, help us think about the the scientific evidence for theism. And the books are going to be available in the EWTN Religious Catalog, and we'll have Jose on the program with us soon, and I will give it the book a look when I get my hands on it. But again, the book is called uh, The New Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God, Jose Gonzalez Hurtado, and you can get it at the EWTN Religious Catalog. Matthew, before the break, we were talking about um, the, this buzz going around right now about Pope Francis yes. blasting those who oppose blessing gay couples and uh, doubling down in his support of blessing gay couples. And uh, there's so much, there's so much ill definition here in misunderstanding. It's important, I guess, to let's let's unravel it a bit. So, right. what what did the Holy Father do? 
Well, I think uh, to provide a little bit of even further background context, uh, the Holy Father loves to give interviews. It's a, certainly his privilege, and uh, he has been given quite a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those uh, interviews, he tends to speak very much off the cuff. We were just talking in the last segment about uh, when he met with the uh, families of Israelis and Palestinians caught up in the, the war in Gaza. The question at the time was asked, did he actually use the word genocide, as I mentioned, because the Palestinians who, who met with him said, yes, he did. The Vatican subsequently said, no, he didn't. Hmm. We're not really sure what he said uh, to them, because his remarks, again, tend to be very off the cuff. There's even some question about whether he used the word terrorism yeah. uh, in reference to what was happening in Gaza. This is back all the way back in November. If we look at his comments about what he has said relating to hell, uh, a lot of off-the-cuff things uh, that were still a little hazy about what he might have said. Mm-hmm. So to that then, uh, he has been very much uh, trying to defend uh, fiducia supplicans, uh, this document, as you know, about uh, the authorizing pastoral, clearly non-liturgical blessings uh, for same-sex couples and others in, quote, irregular situations. So he's talked about it on a number of occasions uh, publicly, and in this case, gave an interview to an Italian weekly periodical uh, in which he apparently describes this, the opposition to it, uh, about those who are somehow scandalized uh, by the idea of giving same-sex blessings, uh, blessings to same-sex couples. But he goes on to say, and he has said similar things before like this, and that's why it's important to remember a lot of his off-the-cuff things he goes back to. He says, no one is scandalized if I give a blessing to an entrepreneur who perhaps exploits people, and this is a very serious sin. He says, whereas they are scandalized if I give it to a homosexual. This is hypocrisy, he said. We must all respect each other, everyone. Which takes us back, of course, to his comments, uh, especially during the Synod, on todos, 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 that everyone uh, is welcome. And as he says, everyone is entitled to a blessing, but then he Try to clarify again, I don't bless a homosexual marriage. I bless two people who love each other, and I also ask them to pray for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, do we have a, a wave of people, an epidemic of same-sex couples <laughs> coming to church doors and asking for blessings? Well, this is the, the, the question that was immediately asked, among many, as you know, as you yeah, and I have been yeah. talking now since uh, the middle of December. There does not appear to have been a, an avalanche of people rushing forward asking for blessings. There was, uh, just immediately after Fiducia Supplicants was uh, promulgated or issued, uh, some very public, uh, very social media-oriented uh, efforts to demonstrate that the, the blessings are available. We saw that uh, in social media, the, the priest, I think it was in Lexington, who gave a, a same-sex uh, couple uh, a blessing. It went clearly, based on the photographs, well beyond uh, the letter and intent of Fiducia Supercounts, yep. the priest yep. in this case wore a stole. It, was, uh, it looked like it was on a sanctuary of a, of a church. It seemed very formal. Uh, and certainly was in defiance of uh, the requirement to be simple and spontaneous. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, has been commented in, in certain corners of uh, social media is that there are so many provisions now to it, uh, especially after the, the additional clarification from Cardinal Fernandez yep. uh, two weeks after Fiducia about, okay, this let's, let's go back, you said, this is what's possible, this isn't what's possible, it has to be simple, spontaneous, it right. shouldn't be more than 10 to 20 seconds, it can't be in a church, it has to be possibly in a shrine, maybe when you're on a pilgrimage. There were so many elements of fine print uh, to what was allowed that, as, as I ran across in a couple of social media posts, why are we bothering yeah. is one yeah. of the comments that was made. So I don't, my understanding is, at least anecdotally, that there has not been this torrent of people yeah. begging for yeah. blessings. Yeah, I, I, this is a self-inflicted wound, it seems to me. Um, I, I I haven't talked to anybody who was aware that there was some sort of theological turmoil uh, and failure to define um, distinctions between pastoral blessings and liturgical blessings. Um, Were you aware of any, you know, theologians who were angling for clarity on pastoral blessings versus liturgical (laughs) blessings? I don't know of any. No, I, I think uh, if there was an effort, uh, and I suspect there would be still in some quarters an ongoing effort, uh, unsuccessful clearly as it has to be, uh, to try to push for the blessings of same-sex unions, which of course is a very different thing. Right. Uh, as as Fiducia Suplicans itself points out, as Cardinal Fernandez has been at some pains to note, uh, that the expectation in some progressive corners, certainly in secular media, and in the immediate aftermath of Fiducia, the announcement was made that the Church is now blessing same-sex unions, which, of course, is manifestly wrong. Any reading of Fiducia would tell you that. They want something that they have have not yet gotten, and still haven't gotten, because Fiducia Supercans makes very clear of what's possible and what isn't. Now, the document itself is still controversial, as we saw with the, the African bishops, with bishop conferences around the world, including the Dutch, uh, who encountered real problems with this. Uh, the Eastern Catholics, as you and I have talked, uh, declare themselves incapable of giving these blessings. Right. And there are elements of Fiducia that raise a lot of difficulties for bishops in different parts of the world. Yep. Yeah. But it's still far from what many of the progressives and progressive Catholics have wanted for a long time. So in this case, I don't think anyone was happy yeah. uh, with how this rolled out. And we go back to the question of synodality. One of the frustrations, is, as Father Raymond D'Souza notes in the piece that we were talking about in our start of our conversation today, that the way that Fiducia was created, drafted, and then promulgated was distinctly, in the view of many, non-synodal. And and all of this was happening while the Synod on Synodality was taking place. Crazy, yeah, yeah, just crazy. Uh, We can can add very quickly, Al, too, that uh, this new official note from the Dicastery, Gestis Verbisque, uh, which is a note trying to clarify uh, what, as, uh, again, Father Raymond notes, is uh, the fact that a minister of a sacrament may not alter the essential form and matter of the sacraments. Why this document came out now, I think, is something of a mystery, uh, other than it reinforces many, many 
clarifications that have come previously. Uh, we have seen in recent years uh, a problem. So you were just asking about uh, is this trying to, was Fiducia trying to solve a problem? Apparently not. Uh, but Justice Verbisque is at least uh, trying to reinforce what has been a source of some concern, and mm-hmm. that is those ministers, for example, in baptisms who replace I baptize with we baptize. Yeah. And it has created, and we're still likely to see more fallout on some of these cases where baptisms were declared invalid by necessity yeah. because the, the minister did not follow proper form and matter. Yeah, this uh, this can get real messy. Um, the, uh, the proper form is uh, I baptize, isn't it? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, and so th- there were some priests who... In the spirit of, you know, unity, horizontal relationships, want to say we, uh, that is the church in general, um, rather than I as an individual. So they, you know, they, I assume this is all in a spirit of uh, generosity towards all to say we baptize, but, you know. (laughs) Right. but it's, it's well, I, I'm not unfortunately the old enough to remember uh, some of the chaos in the seventies. Uh, oh, was that? About... Yeah, I wasn't. I was not paying any attention. Uh, I'd had. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was not anywhere close to the Catholic Church in the seventies. In fact, right. I, for, well, I well, largely forget the seventies. So, <laughs> well, with good reason, I think, in some ways, tragically <laughs> at times, uh, <laughs> clown masses and and uh, real changes to things that uh, at the time seemed odd, certainly as a little kid, which I was. Uh, it just didn't. Let's just say good liturgy tends to speak for itself. Yes, it does, yes. Um, by the way, I'm reading um, Peter Seewald's huge, massive biography of uh, Joseph Ratzinger, um, and it's mm-hmm. the second volume in particular. Uh, spends a lot of time going over uh, the period of the 1970s. And um, it really was, there was a lot of chaos after the Second Vatican Council, a lot of strange things going on. So, Yeah, it, it's why I, I do consider uh, Pope Paul VI, he has been criticized harshly over the decades, but I really do look at him, as we have had a chance to study him more, especially his holiness, Yes, uh, that he was a hero in his own way. Uh, uh, and yeah. I've, I've written at times that it seemed as though he was standing alone yeah. in front of a hurricane of chaos and confusion coming out of, not because of the council, but because of the way it was interpreted. Yeah, I, 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 he's, he's a heroic figure in my mind. And yes. um, we'll come back, continue the conversation with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, looking at stories around the globe dealing with Catholicism and the Catholic Church. Um, There's a story here of a female Anglican bishop who's been uh, speaking to Pope Francis' Council of Cardinals. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org 
or 877-LIFE-US-1. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Parents often resort to scolding, coaxing, or even bribing to get our kids to help with household chores. But what if I told you there's a more effective approach? The next time your child does anything helpful, pause to appreciate them. Say something like, hey, I noticed you put away your dirty dishes without being asked. Thanks for that. It's really thoughtful and responsible of you. You can even put a cherry on the top of your gratitude with a warm hug, a fist bump, or some other sign of affection. A few words of thanks are much more powerful than a whole paragraph of nagging or criticizing. Over time, you'll notice that these expressions of gratitude not only encourage more helpfulness from your kids, but more gratitude, too. Get more great parenting tips at CatholicHOM.com or check out our books, Parenting Your Kids with Grace or Parenting Your Teens and Tweens with Grace. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Fat. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. I tell oftentimes an experience that I had at Divine Child when I was a young priest, one year ordained, first time I ever really saw the power of the Blessed Sacrament. And we simply exposed the Blessed Sacrament at the end of Mass one night. I encouraged people. I said, you know what, we've been in the habit of praying over people after Mass. I said, we're not going to do that this week. I'm just going to invite people to come on up and pray if they want to pray. And I put the Blessed Sacrament on the altar. I kneel down. As I kneel down, the church is in the sanctuary. The whole church. And as I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the people there, and I'm looking at Jesus under the appearance of bread there, I saw the Lord standing on the altar. And he's just standing there looking out at all the people. And then at a certain point, he turned towards me, and he just bowed. And he says, don't you see how easy this is? You don't have to do anything. You just have to put me out. You put me out, and I will work. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Super Bowl's uh, coming up, and uh, there's really it's very interesting because you've got uh, a number of players who uh, 
know that their lives are guided by faith and that uh, they're about a lot more than just football. But uh, National Catholic Register has done some profiles of them, and uh, also uh, Father Richard uh, uh, Rocka, uh, who's gonna, who is the team priest for the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, Father Steve Kim, who's the chaplain for the 49ers. Uh, tell me a little bit about these men. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love the fact that the Register was able to do this, and the hats off to uh, Elisa Murphy yeah. uh, for doing the research into this, because uh, we can forget uh, that the, the the scale of sports and just the sheer amount of money and the lifestyle that uh, seems often associated with professional athletes, no offense to faithful and, and devoted family guys who are in sports, and men and women, but it's nice to have a piece that looks at the fact that there are many athletes today who are devout. They're devout Christians, and, and I know that there are not many, but there are a few um, Muslims who play in, like, in the National Football League. I think the, the head coach of the New York Jets is one. But uh, Elisa was looking in this particular case at the seven players who pray. And if you go to ncregister.com, you can take a look at uh, the the article in question because it has a picture right at the top of uh, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback will be starting for the 49ers on Sunday in the Super Bowl, kneeling in prayer with teammates. Uh, and this is a game that was played back in October when the Dallas Cowboys mm. uh, came to town in San Francisco. And it's two things that, that really strike me about this. The first is that you do have players who are very conspicuous, but not aggressive right. uh, in how they live their lives as, as people of prayer, Catholic or Christian. But the other is how often that is considered now culturally almost distasteful even to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's important to remember that uh, for a lot of these guys, I, I, I think of Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, again, Brock Purdy, uh, who talks about he shares his faith quite openly. Yeah, I was praying against is, him last week, though. <laughs> as I watched yeah, the Detroit, <laughs> as I watched the Detroit Lions uh, take an incredible lead, and then go down to the defeat uh, at the end. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, we can talk about some peculiar play calling. Uh, yeah. I know we don't want to get into that. It's a sore spot. Uh, and I, I live in D.C., so you can imagine that the Baltimore Ravens fans have been in the last uh, couple of weeks, too, losing <laughs> uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs. There was a great meme that had a, a, like a shaded area of California, and they had the 49ers, and then this little shaded area of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And then the rest of the country was asking the question, is it possible for both teams to lose? <laughs> <laughs> so, but one player in particular is worth really getting a, giving a shout out to, and that's Harrison Butker, uh, yeah. the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep, uh, he had a very interesting conversation with EWTN News' Colin Flynn a couple of years ago, and uh, he remains one of the most proficient and feared uh, kickers in the whole of the National Football League. In fact, he won uh, the. Super Bowl, basically, for the Chiefs last year with a, a game-winning field with eight seconds left yeah. for the, the yeah. Chiefs to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles. No offense, again, to Eagles fans. <laughs> but he is uh, somebody who wears a scapular uh, and is very 
committed uh, to going to Mass, to speaking about the faith, that he takes his family to Mass, and talks in, in a very practical, real-world way about what it is to live your faith in your personal life, but then also how it can guide what you do professionally. And I think that's, that's worth noting. And I think that's something that uh, even someone like Brock Purdy, C.J. Stroud of the Houston Texans, uh, who actually, I think, wore uh, some very obvious Christian clothing. Yeah. Uh, and why not? Uh, if this is what helps shape your worldview. Absolutely. Uh, can, do, Don't be afraid of it. No. Uh, when people look at you, do they know to whom you belong? Uh, right. Which is yes, uh, a exactly. meditation we had actually in the first segment of this program today, uh, Father John Ricardo, raising that very question. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and you don't historically we have had a lot of uh remarkable players who have also lived their faith. I think of Philip Rivers, uh, the longtime quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the San Diego Chargers, uh who went on I think also to play for the Indianapolis Colts for a while. Uh and of course uh, there's Vince Lombardi who is yeah. a devout Catholic and a legendary head coach yeah. of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. And there's a host of other players over the years uh who have been very public in expressions of their faith. Tom Landry, for example, yep. uh, Roger Staubach, uh, both legends of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I interviewed Landry. Landry yeah. Well, in, yeah. About thirty years ago. Yeah. He was, yeah, exactly. was a good interview. Easy to talk to. Right. Now, it was interesting because you had uh, one of the great rivalries in sports in the 1960s between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers, including (laughs) the Ice Bowl. Uh, Landry was a devout Christian, uh, Lombardi a devout Catholic, uh, and uh, uh, I'm implying nothing when I say that the Packers consistently won. (laughs) Uh, let, let, Let me switch gears to what might be another area of rivalry. Uh, a female Anglican bishop whose campaign for gender equality addressed the Council of Cardinals, um, I guess this week even, as part of a session dedicated to deeping a reflection on the role of women in the church. I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know anything about her. Uh, what do was this? Uh, what did she contribute to the conversation? Well, this is a it, context as, as you and I have during this hour really matters. And in this case, uh, if you and I actually, I think it was in 2022, had a conversation uh, about uh, the Council of Nine, the C9, right. Francis' yes. Council of Cardinal Advisors meeting, I think it was in February of 2022. And one of the topics, an ongoing topic, has been the role of women in the life of the Church. And this is something certainly that uh, uh, Pope John Paul II talked about, that yeah. Pope Benedict talked about, and now Pope Francis has, sure, too. Sure, sure. And what is striking is that uh, in one of their sessions, uh, when the C9 gathered with Pope Francis, uh, they had this whole session. Uh, and so here we are, uh, two years on, and they've had another session on the role of women in the Church. There was a mild amount of controversy back in 2022, uh, but one of the names of the speakers to the, the Council of Cardinals at that point uh, was uh, a, a couple of theologians, a, a sister, Linda Poker, uh, who was a, a member of the Salesian Sisters of Don Bosco, and she's also a professor at the uh, 
a Pontifical Faculty of Educational Services, Exilium, in mm. Rome. Okay. So she was also a participant in this most recent cycle of uh, conversations that the members of the C9 had. But the one that's getting the attention uh, is, uh, as you just said, an, an Anglican, uh, an Anglican bishop uh, by the name of Joe Bailey Wells, who is Deputy Secretary General of the Anglican Communion, and uh, was also, uh, she's married, obviously, with, with two children, but she also served as the chaplain to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. So, it has raised eyebrows, not just for that, but because in her background she has talked very openly uh, about what she calls gender history, uh, and has reflected about how, quote, institutions are gendered and how institutions gender individuals, and then has also said that, quote, gender equality is part of God's plans. So that the question has been raised, what would she be there to contribute uh to the C9, as here we are having these conversations about the role of women in the Church. Yeah. Well, I I mean, Sister Linda uh, is an advocate of the Marian principle in the Church. Yes. And this is uh, this has been getting a, t- a lot of attention uh, as people try to bring down uh, this idea, which is often associated with Hansers von Balthasar. Um, mm-hmm. So you had the Marian principle um, and the Petrine principle, the Marian principle, uh, is 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 meant to uh, deal with the the more mystical area of spiritual theology with love, where the Petrine principle is there to ensure the the organization uh, and the uh, teaching authority of the church. The Marian principle, though, it would be a proper topic for this 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 discussion. It seems to me. I'm glad she was yeah, there. Yeah, and I think. Exactly. Uh, and they also uh, heard from uh, Gioliva di Berardino, who's a consecrated virgin and a liturgist from the Diocese of Verona. Uh, so, as we have seen throughout the history of the C9, that was, uh, let's remember, this was established by Pope Francis, so it's a somewhat unique entity mm-hmm. of bringing cardinals from around the world. Uh, and you know, people like Cardinal Sean O'Malley was a member at one point. Cardinal George Pell was a member. Yeah, I remember. Uh, this current iteration uh, is especially interesting because uh, among them is uh, Cardinal Fridolin Ambonga Bisungu of Kinshasa, uh, who was, uh, you and I have talked just a couple of weeks ago, responsible for delivering uh, the response of basically the whole of Africa's bishops, with the one exception of South Africa, which went sort of in a slightly different direction from its confreres, uh, that they are unable to bless same-sex couples and mm-hmm. essentially rejecting fiducia supplicants. He's a member of the C9. I see. So the idea that uh, somehow uh, this Reverend Joe Bailey could somehow... Uh, be creating problems for us. I think there are many members on this C9 uh, who are probably very interested in hearing her perspective and those of the others, uh, but I, I don't think that they are very likely to be embracing the idea of the ordination of women. Right, right. Uh, let's uh, let's talk to a few other stories here that I want. I'd like to get to, um, and one of them has to do with with uh, an attack upon. Uh, Father Nicodemus Schnabel, uh, the abbot of the Benedictine Abbey of the Dormition, uh, 
he was attacked in Jerusalem. I That's mean, right. Did this, and, and apparently for ideological reasons, uh, two young Jewish nationalists attacked him. I, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's amazing to me that they would feel as though um, they would have to do violence against the Catholic priest. I, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, I was in uh, Israel some years back, and uh, while we were making our way through the country, with our, our guide who was uh, an Israeli and, and beautifully informed about uh, the Catholic Church and all, pointed out that, uh, that attacks like this are unfortunately very common. Uh, and um, those who perpetrate the attacks often are uh, what are described as Jewish nationalists. Uh, there have been efforts, for example, to commit arson and vandalism. And in this case, uh, there was an attack, as you know, done for the Nicodemus novel, uh, the abbot of the Benedictine Abbey of the Dormition, which is uh, a very high-profile uh, shrine. It's a very high-profile place. But it, it came as no surprise to him, let's put it that way. And I think that's a, a sad statement of our current affairs. Yeah, that it wasn't a surprise. Oh, well, unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, Matthew. Uh, let me thank you once again for taking the time. A privilege to be with you and to spend the time with you and your audience. God bless. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, again, I want to mention Register Radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m., Sundays at 11 a.m. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. He was a Jesuit, a cardinal, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Robert Bellarmine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, including helping to draft two important catechisms that defended church teachings during the Protestant Revolt. Pope Clement VIII named Bellarmine a cardinal because, as the Pope put it, Bellarmine had not his equal for learning. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. This program brought to you in part by the following nonprofit, Christendom College. Looking for a life-changing experience this summer that will strengthen your child's faith and immerse them in a joyful Catholic culture? Well, send them to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. It's located in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and The Best Week Ever is one of those gifts that keeps on giving. You can learn more and apply at bestweekever.com. Mention Al Cresto when applying. That's bestweekever.com.
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's conversations. Uh, Ron always let you know we can dig deeper by going to AveMariaRadio.net. The Crested Guest archives there contain many articles that were used in preparation for the interviews and, and many that uh, are just related to the topics we discussed today. Uh, and so let me urge you to get back. We'll have uh, great information there on this uh, legal battle between the state of Texas and the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, we'll have uh, follow-up information in my conversations with uh, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, there were so many topics we didn't get to with him, and so those will be available for you, too. I'm Al Cresta, and Lord willing, be back tomorrow for another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.